morning, everybody. Oh, wow. Good morning, everyone. There we go. There we go. Hey, uh, thanks so much for being with us today at Faith. I am Mike, one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to have you with us in person. It's good to be with you online today. Uh, you talk about the smartest person you know. It is such a funny thing to me. When I was like 17 years old. My parents didn't know anything. And then I turned 22, and they knew everything. I was like, how did they learn all of that in four years, right? Um, but uh, we are in the midst of a series that we have entitled, um, Says Who? And what we are doing in this series is we are wrestling with this idea of objective truth, of universal right and wrong. And we, in the series we've been saying there is such a thing as universal right and wrong. In fact, that God has taken the time to reveal that to us in the Bible. That, that morality, truth, right and wrong, that God has communicated that to us for our lives in the Bible. But this begs the question, then, okay, if God has communicated this to us in the Bible, like, is there a right way and a wrong way to read this book? Are there ways in which I can go about reading this book that will help me better understand what God is trying to communicate to me in it? And, and we've been saying that the answer to these questions absolutely is yes. But we're recognizing the Bible's a complicated book. It, it, was, it was written over a significant period of time by different people in different places at different times in history in different cultures. And there are different, you know, in different kinds of ways. In fact, there are at least 10 different types of literature within the Bible. And so what we're doing is each week we're taking one of these types of literature and we're going, okay, what are some principles that, that I can apply to this type of literature in the Bible that will best help me understand what God is communicating to me in it. And as we continue this weekend, we are going to go after the type of literature known as wisdom literature. Look at the person next to you and tell them wisdom. Don't they seem like the smartest person you know now, right? No. Okay. You, you probably came here with them. You know better. So here's the deal. We're going to take a minute. We're going to pray and then we're going to ask for God's wisdom in this, and then we'll dive into things for today. Father, we just ask that you would have your hands on us, that you would give us wisdom from heaven to hear truth from you for our lives. Father, uh, just as we pray today, I want to lift up Tim Jackson to you. He is home wrestling with... Um, at least one, it looks like maybe multiple blood clots in his leg. Father, we pray for your hand of healing. We pray for comfort from the pain. And um, Father, we pray that you would get this resolved, that he would be back up on his feet again and about life as normally as possible, as quickly as possible. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you think of wisdom literature, what book of the Bible comes to mind? Yeah, Proverbs, right? Well, here's the deal. When it comes to wisdom literature, Proverbs absolutely falls into that category. There, there are at least a couple other books that fall into that category as well. You have the book of Job, and it's Job, not Job, all right? This is uh, not God's employee manual. It's you know, named after the main character in the book. You have the book of Ecclesiastes, and then some people would put Song of Songs in there. I think it's probably better in poetry, uh, but these are the three that most scholars would point to and go, when, when the Bible's talking about wisdom literature, this is what we have in mind. Now, when, when we say wisdom, 
scripturally speaking, what we're going after is this idea of how to make good and godly choices in life. When, when you talk about wisdom, it's, it's about, hey, what, what kind of choices can I make that will enable me to be better at life and in the end to have a better life? And when you think about this, it's actually really gracious on God's part because this is letting us know that God has inspired three entire books of the Bible that are designed specifically to help us make good and godly choices so that we can be better at life and have better lives. Wisdom literature is letting you know God is looking out for you. But like any other form of literature in the scripture, there are things that we can do as we read this kind of literature that actually help us understand what God is saying. And there are things that we can do that will get in the way as we're trying to understand what God is saying. And so what we're going to do today, it's going to be really pretty simple. We're going to look at four basic principles that are designed to help us read this kind of literature well. And we'll spend part of the front part of the message doing that. And then we'll spend the back half of the message taking those principles and applying them to just a small piece of wisdom literature. We'll have some fun with it. And we'll see what God is saying to us about how life works. So, everybody ready? If you say yes, I think you're listening. Everybody ready? Yes. Thank you. All right, so here we go. Principle number one. There are different types of wisdom literature. You've got wisdom literature as a whole, but there are different types within that. And as you read it, it's helpful to keep that in mind. And as you, if, you read, if you've read you know, Proverbs or Job or Ecclesiastes recently, you're like, these are different. Um, but if you haven't, here, here's what you have going on. With, with Job and Ecclesiastes, you have what's known as speculative wisdom. All right? And basically, it's a long conversation that gets you to a point. So you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's this long discourse from the author to the reader about the nature of life. Or you read the book of Job and it's this long, ongoing conversation between Job and his friends and then Job and God, and it's, it's making a point about the nature of suffering in the world. Now this is different than the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is what we would call proverbial wisdom. You have one saying after another that, that are designed to help you with attitudes and behaviors that will help you succeed in life. So, you know, Proverbs isn't this, you know, long conversation with a, a, a logical progression of thought that you can easily follow along. It's like a statement about this and a statement about that and a statement about this and a statement about that. There are different types and as you read them, understanding that will help and it'll tie into some of our other points. So let's go to point number two. When it comes to wisdom, it's not just uh, about the parts, it's about the whole. It's not just about the parts, it's about the whole. You see, really in any area of life, it's never a good idea to like pull one sentence out of a statement that somebody makes, or to just pull one line out of what somebody writes. I mean, if you work in politics, okay, maybe that's the way you do that, all right? But anywhere else in life, it's a bad idea to take one sentence out of context. But folks will oftentimes do this with wisdom literature, they miss the whole and they miss the point. So for example, in the book of um, Ecclesiastes, we read, Surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. Doesn't that make you excited to read your Bible? <laughs> You're like, wow! 
seems like the Bible's teaching like animals and people that the same thing. Pete is right, and you know, there's no meaning in life. I guess the existentialists have this all figured out. However, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole, you, you recognize the writer is writing from the worldview, from the perspective of there is no God and there is no life after death. And what are the logical conclusions a person would draw about life if there is no God and there is no afterlife? And one of them would be, you're no different than an animal and there is no meaning in life. But the writer writes from this perspective to disprove that worldview. You need the whole, not just the part. Or consider this statement from the book of Job. All of his days, all of his days, the wicked man suffers torment. The ruthless man, through all the years, stored up for him. Like if, I, if I take this one sentence out of the book of Job, I'm like, okay, this is what the Bible teaches about life. You'd be inclined to think that the Bible is saying, hey, if you're a bad person, you're a lousy person, life is always going to go poorly for you. Now, how many of us know this isn't true? Like, how many of you know a lousy person who life's going well for them? How many of you are married to that person, right? <laughs> Life doesn't work like that. But here's the thing. Again, the book of Job, it's a conversation. It's a conversation between Job and his friends about why bad things happen to good people. And one of his friends is making the argument, Job, the only time something bad happens is when you do something bad yourself. And these bad things are happening to you, so obviously you've done something bad, so why don't you repent? And by the end of the book, that argument is shown to be way too simplistic about how life and suffering work, and it's disproved. But if I just take a piece instead of considering the whole, I'm going to miss the point. Even Proverbs works like this to some degree. Proverbs will talk about all these different topics, right? So, so say I want to understand, what does Proverbs say about money, right? Well, if I just pull one verse out, I'm going to get a skewed view on the wisdom of God when it comes to finances. I need to see what Proverbs say about money over here and over here and over here and over here. And I pull all those things out together and I hold all those different concepts in tension so that I can have an integrated theology of money when it comes to what is wisdom saying about that. It's not just the parts, it's the whole. All right, principle number three. Wisdom literature uses specific language, figures of speech, and other literary techniques. So in Proverbs we'll read, stay away from a fool, you will, you will not find knowledge on their lips. Now, th th this term fool, what Proverbs uses this, this term in a specific kind of way. It's not referring to an unintelligent person or a mentally ill person or a developmentally disabled person. In Proverbs, fool refers to a selfish, self-indulgent individual who has no authority in their life higher than themselves. And when Proverbs says you're not going to find knowledge on their lips, it's not talking about a physiological part of their body. It's a figure of speech. Nothing wise is coming out of their mouth. In other words, Proverbs is saying, hey, when you're trying to figure out how to make good and godly decisions that will help you be better at life and help you have a better life, 
Don't turn to a person who's selfish, self-indulgent, and who holds no authority in their life higher than themselves. In other words, Dave and Chuck the Freak may be funny in a hedonistic kind of way. Do not email them for life advice. They are straight-up fools. You're not going to find any knowledge on their lips. Principle number four. This one's especially helpful with Proverbs. Wisdom literature is about principles rather than promises. When you are looking at wisdom literature, it's saying, hey, this is how life works in general. All other things being equal, this is the way you can expect things to take place. But wisdom literature recognizes, hey, there are exceptions to the rule. right? So when the proverb will say, train up a child in the way in which he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, this is not a guarantee. Bring your kid to VBS and he's going to follow Jesus for sure in his adult. The proverb saying, listen, you plant the seeds of faith in your child's life, they're going to be tough to weed out as an adult. Now, we've all seen exceptions to this. I've seen kids who grew up in church, walked away from faith, and never came back. But I have seen far, far more kids who grew up in church, had a period of rebellion, and then they returned. Because if you train up a child the way in which he should go when he is old, he's not going to depart from it. It's a principle, it's not a guarantee. So, with these four principles in mind, and, and if you want more principles than these four, you can pick up the book, Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. It, you, you can nerd out on more principles, go deeper into the ones we've discussed. But with these four in mind, we're going to look at a proverb that talks to us about the nature of life. Have some fun with it, and, and maybe walk away with some wisdom for our lives. So here we go. Proverb goes like this. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Now, a number of things I want us to catch about this passage here, but first one is simply this. Proverbs saying, hey, hey, in life, there are two kinds of people. And are there more than just two kinds of people in life? Absolutely. Again, Proverbs is speaking in generalities. It's saying basically there are two kinds of people. There are simple people and there are prudent people. And some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, okay, that's all you got? Like, why did I come to church? I could have figured that out myself. Here's the deal about wisdom. Wisdom on one hand will be so simple, so obvious. And then it'll turn around and on the other hand, it will hit you with things that are profound where you're like, I need to write that down. And so we're going to start with the simple and the obvious and hopefully we'll give you something worth remembering. But as, as it's, it's the passage begins, it's, it's like, listen, look around the room. There are two kinds of people in here. Don't point them out, but just take a look. Some of these folks are prudent and some of these folks are simple. And the prophet's like, there are certain things about their lives that they hold in common. And there are certain things about them that make them different. And we'll start with what they hold in common. Both, both the prudent and the simple see danger coming. Both the prudent and the simple see danger coming. See, well, people will make decisions in their lives, and, the, and they'll live with the outcomes of those decisions. And sometimes you wind up on the wrong side of the equation, if you would. It's, 
the simple don't wind up on the wrong side of the equation because they didn't see danger coming. You know, the, 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 the prudent don't wind up on the right side of the equation because they saw something that the simple didn't. No, we both see it coming. And, and we get this about life. Think about how many times you've seen somebody make a decision, they wind up on the wrong side of the equation, and you thought to yourself, or you even said, you know, anybody could have seen that coming, right? I'll give you an example of what we're talking about here. In just a minute, we're going to watch a video. Depending on your phobias, you may or may not find it disturbing. But I'll bet you, every one of us in this room, simple and prudent alike, we are going to be able to see the danger coming. So let's watch a video. We'll unpack it afterwards to see if, if, if uh, we know what we're talking about here. Let's watch. I've got a visitor in the house, and she's up there on the roof. If I creep the camera around, we'll be able to see her. Oh, there she is. She's a wonderful critter, and it's mating season, so she's out in the prowl looking for a mate. They're huntsmen, and they move lightning fast. That's the way they catch their prey. I'm going to go up there and try and catch her with my best spider sense of this Chinese food container. I'll hand the camera over to my most faithful assistant to film this, and we'll see what we get. Oh, there's a great close-up of her. Look at her, isn't she beautiful? What a fine specimen. Can you see Daddy and the spider? Yeah, I can. Okay. Okay, let's pause it. Let's pause it here. Now, what's running through your brain? Simple and prudent alike. We're all going, no, forget the right side of the equation. The spider's going to eat your face, right? We all see the danger coming. Now, let's, let's see if we're right. Go ahead and roll the video. Daddy, careful. Decided to get a bigger container because, uh, because of the size of this one. I'll have to move really quick. right? You're like, you know, this is not going to end well. Both the simple and the prudent alike, we can see danger coming. It's just that the simple will ignore it. They'll deny it. They'll minimize it. They'll hide from it. And because and, you know, you don't just wake up one day up to your eyeballs on the wrong side of the equation. I don't just wake up and be like, oh my goodness. I am tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. How did this happen? I'll just turn the corner and be like, I have a raging addiction. Where did that come from? You know? I'll open my eyes and be like, you know, my marriage is on the verge of divorce. I never saw that coming. It's just, it's just not like one day you, you suddenly develop these deep-seated emotional issues or your career goes down the tubes. No, we, we can see danger coming. This is the prudent alike, the prudent, the simple alike. We, we hold this in common. Now, there are ways in which the prudent and the simple are different, a number of them, and, and we're going to look at those next because those are probably the most helpful to us. So here's the first difference between the prudent and the simple. The prudent and the simple respond differently to danger. Passage tells us that the prudent see danger and they take refuge. In other words, they hide from danger. They take evasive action. They get out of danger's way. They find some kind of shelter in the storm. The simple, on the other hand, 
they see danger and they keep going. The bills are piling up. They're not getting paid. The simple keep charging. Their kids talk to them less and less and they continue to work more and more overtime. And rather than play a, a game with their kids, they'd rather play a game online. Their marriage feels more like cohabitation than it does a relationship. And yet they continue to, to seek some alternate form of int intimacy online. The, the simple see danger and they keep going. Now, just stop and think for a minute. Why is it that when the prudent see danger, they take refuge, and the simple see danger, they keep going? I would contend it's our next difference. It's that, it's that the prudent recognize something about life that the simple tend to ignore. The prudent recognize that life is connected. The prudent recognize the decisions I make today dramatically impact the, the, the outcomes that I experience tomorrow. The, the, the simple will ignore this. The simple will live as though tomorrow will never become today. The simple will live as though there's no connection between the decisions I'm making now and what I'm experience now and then. But here's the thing about life. I can ignore certain principles in life and life is going to bring those principles to bear upon me whether I've ignored them or not. And again, we all know this to be true. Think of Archimedes' principle. Everybody's familiar with Archimedes' principle? No. Okay. So Archimedes, all right, whether you're familiar with his principle or not, it impacts your life. Because Archimedes is the one who brought us the principle of buoyancy. And every time I get into a boat, every time I jump into the water, whether I know his principle or not, whether it's fair that, you know, his principle impacts my world, I'm like, how can, how's that fair his principle is going to impact my life? I don't even know who he is and what his principle is. You know, it, life doesn't care. I'm going to find myself on one side of the equation of water or the other, you know, based on how I interact with that principle. Either I'm going to float or I'm going to drown. The principle of connectivity works much the same way. It's going to impact our lives whether we ignore it or not. The, the, the simple, again, they ignore this principle. They act as though, you know, tomorrow is never going to become today. The, the, the simple, this is why they'll continue to buy on credit. Why they'll let their temper get the best of them. Why they'll give in to pride. Why they'll get into bed with that person. Why they'll get high. Why they'll blow off class. It's because the simple, they're, they're refusing to acknowledge that life is connected. The prudent, though, the prudent recognize, hey, the decisions I make today are going to impact my tomorrow consistently. The prudent recognize life works like this in just about every foreseeable area. Whether we're talking about finances or vocation or education or spirituality or relationships or discipline or emotions or substances, sex, it doesn't matter. What I do today is connected to what I experience tomorrow. So when, when the prudent see a habit forming, they do something while they can. The simple keep going. When, when the prudent recognize, hey, this relationship's getting dysfunctional. They set boundaries. The simple keep going. When the prudent recognize, hey, our finances are getting out of control. 
we got to address the disparity between our, our income and our spending. The simple keep going. And so as a result, the prudent and simple, they experience our final difference. The prudent and the simple experience very different outcomes in their lives. We're told the simple, they ignore danger, they keep on going, and they pay the penalty. The, the, the word here that we you know, pay the penalty, in Proverbs this comes with this idea of they pay the fine. They suffer for it. In an earthier sort of way, they get thumped. Right? The simple, the simple suffer for it because they chose to, to live oblivious to the obvious. And when the, when the very predictable but undesirable outcomes of their behavior begin to bear down on their lives, the simple will do silly things. Like the simple will begin to question God's love. They'll be like, hey, I thought God was good. I thought God was loving. How could this be happening in my life? Kind of reflects another proverb that tells us how life works. Proverb goes like this. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. I make decisions that produce outcomes in my life and then I shake a fist to heaven for why God could let this happen to me. Or the, the, the simple, they'll pipe off about forgiveness. They're like, well, I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I didn't do. I thought God forgives and forgets. Here's the thing. Forgive, forgiveness is an incredible thing. The, be forgiven of my sins. To stand, to stand before God knowing God and I are okay. The righteousness of Christ has been applied to my life. That is reason to be thankful, to praise Him. But forgiveness is not a magical escape hatch from the, the natural consequences of my decisions. And again, we know this. Think about it. Anybody here ever fail a test that you lost studying for? Anybody want to? Thank you. You're going to leave me up here alone? Like, like my freshman year in high school, I completely blew off the first semester of French. I didn't study for any of the tests. I didn't do any of the homework. I failed the class. Now, if at the end of the semester, before grades are going on, I come into the class and I get down on my knees and I beg my French teacher, I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm sorry I didn't do the homework. I'm sorry I blew off the tests. I'm sorry I distracted my classmates day in and day out. I'm sorry I tried to falsify the records in your grade book. Won't you please forgive me? I did all of those things. I really did, you know. Now, if, if my, if for no other reason to avoid the awkward of this you know, conversation, my French teacher extends her hand to me, places it on my head and says, you are forgiven. What's that going to do? Yeah, I mean, it might be good for our relationship, but as far as my GPA goes, it's not going to change a thing. Because forgiveness and natural consequences, they, forgiveness is not an eraser for natural consequences in life. So the, 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 the simple, they will pay the penalty. But the prudent experience something very different. Rather, rather than paying the penalty, the prudent miss out on a whole 
pile of heartache. And instead are left to enjoy God's blessings as they live into his design. Rather than being left to question, does God love me? They're there to give thanks for his goodness. Rather than looking for an escape hatch, they enjoy the benefits of living in a way that reflects God's wisdom for their lives. See, the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. That's wisdom. On one hand, it's like, man, that's simple, that's obvious. On the other hand, it's like, ooh, that's good for my life. So, let me encourage you. Read wisdom. Read Proverbs, read Ecclesiastes, read Job. Keep those principles in mind as you read. And may you see God's wisdom for you. The grace of God meant to help you make good and godly choices in your life. Now, before we pray and, and move on and worship, there's one more proverb I want to remind us of. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the, the term fear in the, in the book of Proverbs isn't this cowering because somebody's going to thump me kind of idea. Instead, fear in Proverbs, it's a term of respect. I'm recognizing somebody's right to make the call in my life. I'm recognizing that there's someone under whose authority I should be placing my life. When the Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's saying, hey, when you take your life and you recognize God and God alone has the right to determine how life should be lived, and the appropriate response to that is to place our lives under his authority, that is where wisdom begins. And so as we pray, if you've never said, you know, God, you're God, not me. I want to place my life under your authority. Or if you've gotten so far from that, you need to come back. I want to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll close in worship. Father, thank you that in your grace, you have provided us with wisdom for our lives. Direction to make good and godly choices. Father, for some of us today, we need to begin where you've called us to begin when it comes to wisdom. We just want to confess to you that we have lived as though we had the right to determine how life should be lived, and we've made a mess of things. Father, forgive us, please, we need Jesus, one who came to show us the way, one who died in our place to make right what we could not make right ourselves, one who you rose from the dead to prove everything he said and promised was true. We just surrender our lives to him, help us to follow Jesus and to become like him. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you.